You are listening to the First Tech Podcast. These podcasts are designed for authorised financial advisors. If you're not an authorised financial advisor, it's important you understand the content of this podcast may be difficult to follow, as it assumes you have the necessary training, qualifications and experience to understand the concepts discussed as well as the technical language used. If you still decide to listen, please understand the information contained in this recording is general information only and does not take into account any of your personal circumstances, needs or objectives. Any scenarios considered during this podcast are purely hypothetical and for illustrative purposes only and do not constitute a recommendation to purchase, hold or sell any financial products or take any other course of action. For many years, the superannuation guarantee legislation has allowed employers to decide whether they will pay superannuation guarantee on salary that is salary sacrifice to super. In addition, employers could choose whether the salary sacrifice contributions could actually be used to meet their obligations to pay superannuation guarantee. The result has been that some employees have been disadvantaged by receiving reduced super guarantee contributions. The good news is that new legislation has been passed to resolve this issue. My name is Craig Day and I'm the Executive Manager of the First Tech team and here to join me is Senior Technical Services Manager, Kim Guest. Hi, Kim. Hi, Craig. Now, salary sacrifice and SG. Now, Kim, as per my introduction, I inferred that someone that is an employee could actually be worse off if they actually salary sacrificed under the old rules into superannuation. So they end up with, you know, they take part of their salary, they direct that into super and they end up with less super. Can you under, can you explain to me how that actually works? Yeah, so for many years we've had this problem with the super guarantee legislation where employers are required to pay super guarantee on the employee's ordinary time earnings. But when you had a look at the definition of ordinary time earnings, um, the employer could actually choose whether ordinary time earnings included or excluded salary sacrifice amounts. So that meant that if the employer decided to exclude those salary sacrifice amounts, they're actually paying super guarantee on a reduced ordinary time earning amount. So the employee actually ended up getting less super guarantee in that case if they decided to salary sacrifice. Okay, so that's so ordinary time earnings. So this is this concept that uh, the superannuation guarantee legislation works off, isn't it? And so what ordinary time earnings really looks at is what salary and wages you're you're earning from your ordinary hours of work. Now, Mm -hmm. the interesting thing with um, salary sacrifice contributions, superannuation guarantee is that salary sacrifice contributions, they actually become the assessable income of the super fund, don't they? So that's why we have um, contributions tax apply to those amounts. So Mm. before we actually include those salary sacrifice amounts in our taxable income, what they do is they go off to the super fund and they form part of the super fund's taxable income um, and they no longer form part of the employee's income. So therefore, that's the reason why they're not actually, those amounts aren't being included in ordinary times earnings. Seems a bit strange, doesn't it? But that's Mm. the way that those rules actually work. So was this all employees impacted by these rules? Uh, No, so some, it it was really up to the employer whether they decided to um, include or exclude salary sacrifice amounts when they're figuring out the ordinary time earnings to pay super guarantee on. So for many employees, um, their employer decided to include salary sacrifice amounts when they were working out how much to pay SG on, but there were also quite a number of employees who were impacted by this by employers choosing to pay SG on that reduced salary. Yeah, so personally, I remember one of my 
employers uh, actually used to not do that. They actually chose that they wouldn't actually pay SG on amounts that I salary sacrifice. So I didn't actually do that in the past. But then about 10 years ago, uh, that employer decided that that was actually probably the right thing to do to pay SG. So um, so for, for those employees who were impacted, did they then choose not to salary sacrifice like me? Some did, yeah. So uh, first of all, was the employee even aware that their super guarantee was being reduced as a result of salary sacrificing? If they were aware, some employees decided um, not to salary sacrifice in that case. Some went ahead and salary sacrificed anyway because they still wanted to make those tax-effective super contributions even though they were actually being penalised by getting reduced super guarantee. Um, but there was also a large number of people who just weren't aware that they, yeah. were, they were getting that reduction. Yeah. I remember talking to an advisor, or oh, this is a couple of years ago now, and he was telling me about one of his, his clients that was employed by an employer that used to actually run... Um, seminars on the benefits of salary sacrifice because they actually did that. They would not pay SG on salary sacrifice amounts. So the more employees that actually implemented those strategy, it was better off for the employer. So not right. the most uh, savoury of kind of activity. Mm. Um, so this issue has been around for many years, but now the government has actually passed some legislation rectifying this issue. So how do these new rules work? Um, yeah, so the one other thing I wanted to mention is that there's sort of two things that are happening before the new rules came in. One was what we mentioned, which is that the employer is paying um, super guarantee on the reduced salary in some cases due to um, salary sacrifice. And the other thing is that the some employers are actually using the salary sacrifice contributions to meet their SG obligation. So if I salary sacrifice $10,000... Um, the employer then makes that $10,000 as a salary sacrifice contribution, which is actually an employer contribution. And then they're saying, well, we've made 10,000 employer contributions. That meets your SG, my SG liability. I don't have to make any super guarantee contributions at all for that employer because I've already, <coughs> excuse me, made $10,000 worth of employer contributions. Wow. Is it? So if, if I look at an example of that, so if, let's say I've got my stereotypical, make it very easy for my mass. We've got someone mm. earning $100,000. Uh, and they go and salary sacrifice $10,000, then the yep. employer actually potentially only has an SG obligation of 9.5% of $90,000, and that's going to be less than $10,000, the amount that I've salary sacrificed, so the employer can turn around and say, thanks very much, Kim, you've just uh, actually paid my SG liability on my behalf. Exactly, yeah, so they get no super guarantee at all in that case. Wow, mm. that's a terrible outcome. So these mm. new rules fix this problem? It do, which is great news because this has been a problem for a long time. So now from 1 January 2020, the rules are going to change that definition of ordinary time earnings to be an ordinary time earnings base. And what that really means is that employers have to pay super guarantee on ordinary time earnings, including any salary sacrificed amounts. So they're not able to choose to exclude salary sacrifice amounts when they're figuring out you know, ordinary time earnings to pay super guarantee on. Um, the new rules also prevent employers from using salary sacrifice amounts to meet their SG obligation. So in that example we just said where um, they were saying, okay, here's the 10,000 salary sacrifice, that means that's an employer contribution, therefore I've met my liability. They're not able to do that anymore. They actually have to make super guarantee contributions in addition to salary sacrifice. Okay, well, that sounds like good news for employees. Mm. Um, what does an employer need to think about here? Yeah, so it certainly impacts employers um, who were 
you know, reducing super guarantee due to salary sacrifice, um, they are going to need to review their remuneration um, arrangements and figure out whether they need to increase those super guarantee contributions. And it will really depend on how they remunerate their employees as to the impact on their that employer. Um, many employers remunerate on a total package value. So, mm-hmm. for example, I might say I, I pay you $100,000 um, and regardless of how much goes into super or how much you have as take-home pay, the overall package value is $100,000. For those employers, if they increase the super contributions due to this measure, then they're going to reduce the take-home pay by the proportionate amount, so you're still earning $100,000. But for other employers who don't remunerate on a total package value, then increasing those super guarantee contributions as a result of this new measure will actually mean that the employer is receiving more remuneration overall. And so then it will be up to um, the employer and the employee to negotiate if that's what um, they want to do to to figure out the new amount of oh, remuneration. So in a way, the, the cat may be let out of the bag for, for some employers. Yeah, <laughs> and it may result in some employers choosing not to offer salary sacrifice. Right. Well, mm. that's, so if I, if I replay that, what you just said, so... The employers that arguably have been doing the right thing, yeah. ethically uh, and morally towards their employees, yeah. um, no real impact because no. uh, they've already been essentially including those salary sacrifice amounts in the SG calculations anyway, yeah. so no issue there. Mm-hmm. But it's those employers that have been deciding to reduce their salary, the, sorry, their SG obligations um, due to a client salary sacrificing. They're really yeah. going to have to go back and review that situation. Now, mm. you said there there was an effective date. That's it wasn't one July twenty nineteen, and we're not no, backdating it's here. Not are backdated. We? No, it's one January two thousand and twenty. So they're really going to have to think about um, reviewing those types of arrangements in the first six months of the year, yeah. um, and and get on to that. Now, we've talked about employers. What about employees? Because you you mentioned there that that could potentially impact cash flow. Yeah, that's right. So for employees that that, um, were impacted by this measure, they're now going to get an increased amount of super guarantee. Um, So for for them, it really depends, again, on how they're remunerated. If they were remunerated on a total package value, so for that example, again, of $100,000, then this measure might mean more of their $100,000 is going to super, (coughs) excuse Mm -hmm. me, as super contributions, which means less take-home pay. And the employee would have to consider whether that's what they want to happen. Maybe they want to reduce their salary sacrifice contribution if they want to maintain that same amount of take-home pay. Um, For those other employees who aren't remunerated on a total package value, then this may just result in increased super contributions um, and the same amount of take-home pay. So for that, it's a good good news story for the employee. Right. Um, Another thing, though, to be aware of is um, the concessional contribution cap. So if these employees now are going to receive increased superannuation contributions, um, they may need to keep keep an eye on that $25,000 concessional contribution cap because it may cause them to go over that cap in some cases. Yeah, that's a good point Mm because you can imagine someone, you know, maybe closing in on retirement that may be salary sacrificing up to the concessional cap, especially if the employer is not then throwing any SG, additional Mm -hmm. SG in because the employee is effectively doing that for them. All of a sudden they're going to have an extra 9.5% going in which may push them up and over Mm. the $25,000 cap as it currently is. So they would need to be reviewed in that situation as well. Yeah, they might want to adjust their salary sacrifice. I I would also imagine good news here for financial advisors because if you've got financial advisors wanting to recommend uh, a client's salary sacrifice, so they've come in, they've, they've sought some advice about retirement planning, 
the advisor sat down and done the sums and says, right, based on what you're telling me and when you want to retire and what sort of level of income you want to retire on, you're going to have to start salary sacrificing. Mm. One of the things the, the advisor would have to do there is actually get their their client to check with their employer about whether they were going to, you know, yeah. do the right thing or whether they would actually reduce their... So that probably makes it a bit easier for, for the, the mm. advisor less rigmarole in terms of ensuring that a salary sacrifice strategy would be in their client's best interest because they will know from the 1st of January 2020 that the employer can't actually do this legally. Mm -hmm. um, also, I suppose an important thing here, from 1 July 2017, employers uh, could make personal deductible contributions on the rules under the rules that changed on that date. So in the past, you may have had employees that thought, well, my employer's going to do this. I'm, I'm simply not going to salary sacrifice into super because mm. it actually I'm, I'm paying my, my employer's actually obligation for me. I'll maybe make after-tax contributions. But from the 1st of July 2017, you could actually make an after-tax contribution and claim a tax deduction for it, couldn't you? So some employees in that kind of situation would, instead of doing salary sacrifice, they may have made personal deductible mm. contributions. Now, um, with these new rules coming in, should they be switching back to salary sacrifice? Um, perhaps. I mean, personal deductible contributions and salary sacrifice contributions have very similar tax outcomes in mm -hmm. terms of, you know, making tax-effective super contributions. Um, but salary sacrifice does have some advantages in terms of cash flow, so regular amounts coming out of their salary. They don't have to find the money to make that large contribution at the yeah. end of the year, although I suppose they can make after-tax contributions throughout the year and then yeah. lodge a notice of intent and, and that whole process. So there can be some advantages in, in just having those regular amounts come out of their pay as salary sacrifice. Rather yeah, than I, I would imagine some members or, or clients may like the idea of making a large contribution at the end of the year, maybe mm. if a bonus comes through at that time mm. and then getting a deduction. Yeah. Um, alternatively, you get it's important to understand you get pretty much the same tax outcome, assuming mm. you're, you're grossing your after-tax contribution up. Um, but salary sacrifice, I think the benefit for me is that it's automatic. My employer mm. does it on my behalf. I don't also have to worry about getting that contribution in before the end of 30 June. So every year, yeah. all trustees out there go through this phenomenon of everyone trying to make contributions at the mm. very last second. So we don't have that risk there. Um, also, we don't have that risk of somehow failing to provide our tax deduction notice to the trustee by those crucial deadlines and therefore potentially missing out on that deduction. Mm. So from a risk perspective, it's probably just easier and less risky to implement a salary sacrifice, but otherwise it doesn't really make much difference. Um, is That sounds about everything. Is there anything else I need to think about with these new rules? Um, oh, well, I guess the, the new rules come in sort of halfway through the financial year, so they come in on the 1st of January 2020. So for that first, you know, 1920 um, financial year, it'll be important to review clients to, to see that they're, you know, not going to exceed their concessional cap and whether their contributions need adjusting as a result of this measure right. as it comes in sort of halfway through the year. Terrific. Cool. Mm -hmm. Now, I think that does it all. Now, important for, for listeners just to remember that there actually, we do have an article coming out on this issue in the new year. So if after listening to this, you want a little bit more detail and, and think through how this may potentially impact clients of yours that maybe are employers or employees, um, go and check out that article. Otherwise, thanks, Kim. Thank you. See you, Craig. See you, everyone. Thanks for listening to the First Tech Podcast. 
Please remember, these podcasts are designed for authorised financial advisors. If you're not an authorised financial advisor, you need to remember that any scenarios considered during this podcast were for purely hypothetical and illustrative purposes only and do not constitute a recommendation to purchase, hold or sell any financial products or take any other course of action. And finally, you should read the relevant product disclosure statement before making any investment decision and once again consider talking to a financial advisor. While all care has been taken in preparation of this podcast using sources we believe to be reliable and accurate, no person including Colonial First Aid Investments Limited or Commonwealth Bank Group of Companies accepts responsibility for any loss suffered by any person arising from reliance on this information.